Welcome to TrackCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for joining us. Today's episode is a recording of last month's virtual Track Talks event with DART CEO Gary Thomas about all of the transportation projects going on throughout the city. He also talked about how DART has handled the COVID-19 pandemic, though for proper context, please note that we recorded this in late May. Obviously, things have changed uh, since then. Thomas also answered questions from some of the track members who attended the event. Thomas became Dart CEO in 2002 after 19 years as a consulting engineer and has overseen the 700-square-mile transit system that stretches across 13 cities throughout the Metroplex. Since Thomas joined Dart, the transit agency has developed the nation's longest light rail system at 93 miles and was recognized for adopting a clean fuels program for its bus fleet while it also upgraded its transit and customer communication services. Before we get started, we'd like to let you know that Gary used slides during his presentation, and we've included a link to them in the show notes of this episode if you'd like to follow along. We've also posted a blog on our website with our three biggest takeaways from the event. You'll find that link in the show notes as well. If you're listening to us for the first time, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and follow Trek on social media. And now, here's Dart CEO Gary Thomas right here on TrackCast is that person that is uh, riding the system, going to the grocery store, going to the pharmacy, going to the doctor, uh, wherever they're going on the, the system. Uh, so, so it's important to know each one of our customers, what their motivation is for riding uh, and, and how we can really speak to that. So to that end, if you go to the next slide, Brian, you can start to see uh, really what we're looking at um, uh, from a mobility as a service framework. In other words, uh, while certainly our, our primary focus is trains and buses, we also appreciate the fact that not everybody wants to ride a train or a bus, or, or maybe that it doesn't help uh, in your complete trip. Maybe it uh, doesn't go where you want to go. And, and of course, today, it's a little bit different, uh, certainly. <clears throat> this too shall pass. And so as we look to the future, uh, we certainly need to be mindful of what does our transportation world look like as it, uh, as it evolves um, over the next uh, 12 months, next 24 months. So as you, this slide's a little bit busy, but just to break it down for you, if you look at it, uh, in the upper left corner really talks about mobility services. And what are mobility services? Well, those are, those are things like the, uh, the micro-mobility uh, uh, system, scooters, bikes, uh, transit, multimodal services, car sharing, uh, dynamic carpooling. And as you look at that slide, you can see a, a faint yellow halo around each one of those. If there's a, a faint yellow halo, that means it's something that we've already uh, worked on and in incorporating into uh, this, this ecosystem that we've developed. Uh, that really provides this, this service to our customers um, that, uh, that really speaks to what their needs are. Uh, the, the other thing that you'll also notice is that this is rapidly evolving, not just during COVID, but uh, for example, the bike sharing. is I think we all are aware bikes, uh, uh, the dockless bikes anyway, uh, came and went. Um, Dallas was uh, renowned throughout the, uh, certainly the country as one of those locations that had more dockless bikes than pretty much any place else in the, in the uh, nation. 
And of course, uh, that disappeared uh, almost as quickly as it came. Scooters, uh, in large part, have taken their place. Uh, car sharing uh, was also one of those early entries into this uh, mobility ecosystem, but really isn't present anymore. As you work your way around counterclockwise uh, apps and services, you can see Wi-Fi, uh, smart payments, interactive kiosks, uh, trip planning, all of those things are already things that we've incorporated into our services, uh, rewards and incentives, and moving around connected services. Um, that's uh, still in development, but connected traveler, automated vehicles. Of course, automated vehicles may be a thing of the future. Um, something to look forward to, dynamic parking and traffic management. Traffic management is a piece that we're actually working on right now, tying all of that uh, data together. And uh, while we were driving our cars to work, it was always a little eerie when I'd get in my vehicle in the morning at 6.30 and, and it'd say, oh, you must be on your way to work. My phone would, and it would tell me that uh, it was 35, 40 minutes or whatever it was if I drove to work. What we're working on is, is giving our customers again that option. So if, if you get in your vehicle and, uh, and your phone comes up and it says, oh, it's 6.30, you must be on your way to work. Here are your choices. And here's what, how long it's gonna take for each one of those choices. And here's how much it's gonna cost for each one of those choices. Remembering that driving is not free. Uh, the highway is not free. All of those things have a cost associated with them. And of course, as we move around this, uh, uh, this chart and up to our P3 agreements, that's where you see uh, prayer transit, our connections with the TNCs, Uber, Lyft, taxis, car companies, and even air taxis and microtransits. So all of this brings all the systems together. Uh, so when our customer approaches us and says, this is where I'm at, and this is where I wanna go, here are all the choices. And from a consumer standpoint, it's great if, if, uh, if someone uh, aggregates all those choices and says, okay, here are your choices, here are the options, here's how much it's gonna cost, here's uh, how, how long it's gonna take. It's not too dissimilar uh, to, to our world right now as we say, okay, I need a, a new desk chair because this chair is not very comfortable. And, and I go online and how long is it gonna take to get here? Is it a two day delivery? Is it a two week delivery? Um, and what are my choices and how much do they cost? Very similar kinds of responses. And we don't always think about that in the transportation world. But what, again, the customer, who am I? What am I trying to achieve? Where am I going? Uh, is it important that I get there in two minutes or 20 minutes? Uh, is it important that it costs a uh, dollar or, or $50? Those are the kinds of, of choices that, that people ought to have uh, in transportation. They have them everywhere else. We've gotten used to this. So uh, how do we make that happen? If you go to the next slide, uh, some of you are probably already aware that, uh, that we've done a lot of this already. We've done it through our GoPass app. We actually introduced the GoPass app in 2013. Now, when we did that in 2013, it wasn't really to, to be the aggregator of all these choices. It really was a low cost entry into a, a smart ticketing kind of approach. And if, if, uh, if you had the opportunity to go to some of the other cities around the country, around the world, uh, you might have realized that, that many places, um, whether it be uh, 
uh, Chicago or London or, or some of the places that have a tap card, uh, Washington, D.C., they'd have a tap card. Atlanta had a tap card. And we looked into that. We, we said, well, gosh, wouldn't that be nice if we could have a tap card too? And then we started looking at how much those systems cost in 2013. And it was, it was ridiculous. It was hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, for example, Chicago, if you're familiar with the Venture card in Chicago, it cost uh, 300 plus million dollars to implement that system. We said, we can't afford that. So we said, look, why don't we go with mobile technology? Not really realizing that that really was the, the, the way of the future and that the tap card uh, probably become a way of the past as, uh, as time continues to go on. So we entered that market in that manner in 2013. And, and pretty quickly after that, I was on a panel and the, the head of Uber for North Texas was also on the panel. And he was talking about Uber. And remember, 2013, Uber really uh, didn't come to Dallas until 2012 timeframe. Uh, so he was on the panel telling people about this new service. I was on the panel uh, talking about the new GoPass app. And afterwards, we, we started visiting with each other. And we said, you know, wouldn't it be great if you could use our app or their app and combine your modes so uh, you could plug in where you are, where you wanted to go and what your criteria were, whether it be the cheapest trip, the fastest trip, um, um, whatever your criteria, maybe you have a mobility, uh, a need that is specific to you, or maybe you just really want to ride a scooter in the middle of your trip. But you as a consumer ought to, get, uh, ought to be able to pick that. Obviously, if you go to Google now, it'll tell you, well, if you drive or if you walk or, or uh, you know, if you take a TNC, Here's how uh, uh, Uber or Lyft, here's how that trip will look. But nobody actually puts all the modes together to actually allow you to pick that trip uh, based on your particular criteria. So that's what we've done. We continue to work through that with the GoPass. And if you go to the next slide, I'll back up for just a second and give you a little bit of an overview of what our agency is all about. We have uh, about 650 buses and we're actually down uh, under 10,000 bus stops now. And while that's important, um, why that's important is because sometimes too many bus stops cause your trip to be a little bit slow. So as we continue to look at our service area, we continue to look at where those bus stops are and are there bus stops that we don't need or that we can consolidate. Uh, so bus stops, number of bus stops are important. Of course, the light rail system, 93 miles of light rail, uh, as I, I like to say, uh, the longest light rail system in North America. Now, some folks will, will say, well, yeah, but that's not always a good thing. Well, it depends on your perspective. It depends on what you're trying to do and what you're trying to achieve and where you're trying to go. Uh, but the reality is, is we do have the longest light rail system in North America. And who would have thought that when DART was created, that, that North Texans would demand transportation choices like they have an opportunity to get out of the car and do something different. 35 miles of commuter rail, that's the TRE between Fort Worth and Dallas, and 13 go-link zones. Go-link zones kind of uh, shifts back to the previous uh, couple of slides. In many parts of our service area, we don't have good bus service. We don't have rail service. Sometimes the buses may only come every 60 minutes. Well, that's not very good service. So what we did is implement a go-link zone. And this is an on-demand zone, so it's a, a, a geo-fenced area. 
uh, where if you're in that zone and need to get go somewhere or if you're going to that zone and you go to the GoPass app, it will say, oh, you're in the zone or you're going to that zone. Uh, here are your choices. And one of those choices is you can have a van. Let's say you're in the zone and you live in the zone and you want to go to the closest rail station. Uh, you can say, I'm here and I want to go to that rail station. Then the, uh, the van will come and pick you up. It's a 10 minute response time. That's our metric. Uh, the fares are similar to what it would be if you rode a, a train or a bus. Um, the, that's the, the beauty of it. And again, 10-minute um, response time to get you to any place in the zone or to the closest rail station. The challenge was, as that became more and more popular, we couldn't maintain 10-minute response times because we have a fixed number of assets, a fixed number of vans that are in those zones that could pick people up. So as it became more and more popular, uh, we didn't have the number of vans to, to maintain the 10-minute response time, so we needed a backup plan. And so we went out with the procurement, and our backup plan was Uber Pool. And so Uber Pool is now the backup, so when you go to the app and you're in the zone, it'll say, do you want to take the van? The van is 13 minutes away. Or do you want to take Uber Pool? The Uber Pool vehicle is six minutes away. Or maybe it's vice versa. Or maybe, again, you need a, a, a lift on the uh, van. So you need the van. So those are the kinds of choices as a consumer, the GoLink zone, for example, allows. And of course, paratransit, van pool, streetcars, uh, the modern streetcar that uh, we operate from uh, Vista Parts up to uh, Union Station in downtown Dallas. And then uh, the connectivity with Trinity Metro, the Fort Worth Transportation Authority and DCTA. And then, of course, more complete trips, as I said, uh, using the other tools in the transportation toolbox, whether it be Uber, Lyft, uh, Zipcar, not so much anymore. But if you go to the next slide, you can really see what this might look like in the future. Um, and again, not next week future, not next month future, but as we really look out, uh, we really anticipate you'll have mobility hubs. And while this actually is a, a real location, it's Trinity Mill Station um, on the uh, Green Line, and, and that highway you see in the background is Bush Turnpike. But you see the DCTA train on the left, you see the light rail train, you see uh, the electric buses, you see the scooters, the bikes, um, electric vehicles, automated vehicles, and even air taxis are thrown in there uh, to, to kind of make sure that all the different modes of transportation are accessible at one particular location. So as you come in and out of this, all the different options are available to you. So if you go to the next slide, oftentimes I'll talk about uh, these options and people say, look, Gary, we really don't need transit anymore. I mean, whatever you're uh, combining, whatever you're trying to sell as far as mixing all the different modes, making a, a consumer directed decision, we don't need it because we're gonna have automated vehicles. And I had this conversation, it's been a, a year or so ago, but someone said, we don't need transient work, we're gonna have automated vehicles. So this slide is not a new slide. As a matter of fact, uh, for many years, uh, this slide existed, but it only existed with two uh, frames. One was the private vehicle. And no, these people are not social distancing, so it obviously isn't recent. Uh, but, but if you had 40 vehicles, lined up at a traffic light. That's what it would look like. If you had one bus, those same 40 people would fit in that one bus. Does that change with Uber and Lyft? 
does it change with automated vehicles? Really, not so much. As a matter of fact, uh, some people will point out that once we have automated vehicles, we'll actually have, the, it'll be the first time in history where we've had the average occupancy rate of less than one per vehicle. Think about that for a minute. So move to the next slide. Now I'm gonna talk about uh, a couple of the capital projects that uh, many of you are, are very involved in and are very focused on. Uh, the first is the silver line, the dark silver line. That's a project that's actually been on our books since 1983. DART bought this quarter in 89-90 timeframe, and we own it from basically the stockyards, the north side of Fort Worth, all the way to Whiting. On the, e on the west side of the region, Fort Worth Transportation Authority, Trinity Metro, has already built an open Texrail, the Texrail project. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it goes from downtown Fort Worth to the airport. On the east side of the region, it's the Silver Line, and that's the project that we're working on. Some of you are probably familiar with that. Uh, our board actually approved this to go on to our plant. And remember, the voters approved it in 1983. Uh, our board approved it from a, financially, uh, a financial perspective in 2006. The, uh, the decline in the, uh, um, of course, in the, in the market in 2008 slowed us down. Uh, for a few minutes, um, but we've moved that project back up now, and it's actually under construction. Um, the, the reality is, is our board is looking at, okay, are there some things that we can trim out of this project? Do we need all eight vehicles now? Do we need double tracking along the entire corridor now? So we'll talk through those, but it's also important to realize that this project, and if you go to the next slide, it really uh, speaks to some of the characteristics of the project. This project anticipated that we'd see 11,000 ridership, uh, 11,000 weekday riders, uh, that we'd have 210,000 jobs within a half mile of that quarter, that it will open and it will still open in 2022, has 10 stations, and if you go from the far end on Shiloh Road in Plano, all the way to DFW, it's 58 minutes. So for Grins, earlier today, I said, okay, how long would it take if I drove that? And, and if I say, okay, I'm not gonna use a toll road, um, it takes between 30 and 40 minutes, and of course, there's no traffic. If I use a toll road, it cuts it down by about five minutes. And of course, it charges you the toll as you go across uh, this turnpike, it's 26 miles, uh, the project cost is $1.1 billion. And, and so that gives you an idea. And it, there's even a chart that shows you where we anticipate the ridership to really peak. Now, the, the point, one of the points I'd like to make is the airport connection is really cool. And someone the other day said, Gary, why are you even building this project? There's not going to be anybody going to the airport. Nobody's going to fly anymore. I don't know if that's true or not. I suspect that's, uh, that at some point people will fly, but the real ridership on this project isn't to and from the airport, it's across the corridor. It's people going uh, from Fort Worth to Dallas, it's people going vice versa from Dallas to Fort Worth. It's really the job connections that this corridor makes across the entire corridor. And so as you can see, some of the, uh, of course, Addison, Addison Circle um, is where generally where the station is. Uh, UT Dallas is another uh, hot station, City Line, Bush Turnpike, 
uh, where the State Farm development is. Those are all big ridership, uh, big ridership stations. And, and, and again, it really is connecting people to jobs. If you go to the next slide, this gives you a little bit different uh, perspective, but still talks about where those stations are as you come out of the airport. Uh, there's one just on the north side of the airport, Cypress Waters, of course, uh, Lucy Billingsley's development, downtown Carrollton. Um, and as we know, a lot of development happening in, in Carrollton, Addison, as said, Addison Circle, no trail. So these two stations are relatively close together. And someone said, why do that? Why put them so close together? Oftentimes we talk about how different uh, features can, can divide our, our geography. And of course, uh, these stations are close together, but the toll road is in between them. So it gives both stations an opportunity to develop a little bit on their own. UT Dallas, if you've been there uh, you, lately, you know that there's an awful lot of development occurring around where this proposed station is going to be. Of course, Cityline Bus, 12th Street, in downtown, near downtown Plano, the Toll Brothers are doing their development around this station now, and then the Shiloh Road Station on the uh, eastern edge of the uh, project. So the project uh, is well in, it's a design-build project, it's well into the design phase now. Uh, we're, uh, we're at 30% design, headed towards 60%. The contractor has already started relocating utilities, pulling up track, uh, doing those, doing their borings, all of those subsurface borings, all those kinds of things. And again, headed toward a completion date of 2022. Uh, if you go to the next slide, you can see the uh, the next large project that we're uh, working on. And that's our second alignment in downtown Dallas. And again, many of you have probably heard about it, been uh, involved in this in some form or fashion. And, and just uh, real quick, the background is, is we always contemplated doing something different with our existing alignment. Uh, initially, what we contemplated was putting the, the original alignment underground. Uh, pretty quickly, we realized that that probably wasn't the best use of funds, and it was probably much more efficient to actually build a second alignment in downtown Dallas to give us the flexibility um, to move trains around inevitably, um, you know, in the afternoon when everybody's trying to go home, uh, there'll be some situation. Uh, once, about three years ago, there was a fire at one of the new hotels, and the fire department comes and lays their hoses across the tracks. Obviously, uh, they don't want any trains to run across those hoses, so we're stuck. And all of a sudden, pretty quickly, uh, you realize how many people were using the train to get to and from work every day. So this gives us the flexibility to get around those kinds of things. It also speeds up uh, the train traffic through downtown. We started on this project thinking that it would be mostly at grade. And as we worked our way through the process, it became apparent that uh, really the desire was that this be below grade. So we had to shift gears a little bit, uh, but we've been working through that, working with the property owners uh, as we go through this corridor. And, and really the challenge right now is how we cross uh, 345 on the east side. So if you go to the next slide, I'll talk a little bit more about uh, the different uh, components of, of the project. It's a, a one point, roughly a $1.4 billion project. Uh, there are three new subway stations. We anticipated it would be done in 2024. 345 uh, might cause us to add another year to that uh, uh, schedule as we work through the 345 um, uh, crossing. Uh, 
Uh, it, it connects two different light rail jobs or lines. There's 150,000 jobs within a quarter mile of the different stations. And it takes 11 minutes and it's two miles long. If you go to the next slide, uh, again, it kind of shows you where the different stations are. There's one Museum Way, which is right next to the Perot Museum, Metro Center, uh, which is where it crosses the existing alignment. And then we turn left on Commerce, and there's one near the uh, AT&T headquarters on Commerce. And then as we go further east, uh, it's uh, near the, the existing bus terminal. So it's kind of between the bus terminal and the uh, uh, farmer's market um, right before we go under 345. So as we hit 345, not literally, but as we go, as we cross 345, of course, 345 is, is up in the air right now. And as TxDOT looks at it, uh, where is 345 going to land in the future? Is it gonna stay up in the air? Is it gonna be at grade? Is it gonna be below grade? So while they're trying to make their decision, we're trying to, of course, to get our project uh, designed and built. So the timing uh, from that standpoint doesn't work ideally, but TxDOT has been pretty aggressive in going through their planning phase to help us identify where we need to be, where they're going to be, uh, to get both of these major projects uh, really to cross each other uh, in the most ideal way, again, for all, the, all of the customers. Um, so if you go to the next slide, I've talked a lot about what we were doing and, and uh, what we were planning on, and all of those things are going to continue to move forward. Um, but we've had uh, a little bit of an interruption in all of our lives. So let me tell you just a, a, a minute, uh, take a minute and tell you what we're doing uh, from a transit perspective as it relates, as it relates to uh, the COVID-19 uh, virus. First of all, Safety of our employees, safety of our customers is of the utmost importance. How do we make sure that everybody stays as safe as, as possible? Well, the first step is making sure that we clean our buses and trains frequently. Uh, what's that mean? Well, on trains, we clean them at the end of the line. So every, every time they turn, um, they get to, all the high touch areas get wiped down. That means red and blue lines get wiped down every 60 minutes orange and green line trains get wiped down every 90 minutes. And then at nighttime, uh, each train car is cleaned thoroughly. And then on the weekends, we have uh, what we now call foggers. And it's uh, for lack of a, a more technical term, it's like a giant bug bomb that we set off in the trains and it just fogs the entire train and kills all the germs uh, throughout the train. On the buses, uh, the buses get wiped down midday and evening. Um, you might have heard me say recently that one of the challenges that we have is we have some buses that go out in the morning and never come back um, until that evening. And so we can't wipe them down as easily in the midday. So we're actually looking at how we deploy cleaners uh, to different parts or different areas along that bus's route to come on board, clean everything as quickly as possible, and then get back off. And then again, on the weekends, those buses get... Uh, uh, either fogged or sprayed. It's, uh, again, it's a sprayer that you walk through, uh, a sprayer on the backpack and you spray everything uh, in the bus and the chemical then kills all the, uh, all the germs. So, so again, cleaning is paramount. Um, uh, we clean often and uh, um, anytime a new product or new idea comes out, obviously we're looking at that. We take it, the temperatures of our uh, bus operators 
and mechanics on a daily basis. Uh, we have masks, we have wipes, uh, a lot of things that people are just now thinking about, well, gosh, where do I buy masks? We've been buying them. Quite frankly, we weren't able to get masks in early April, but now we have a, a good steady supply of masks uh, for our operators. And we're talking about maybe providing masks for our customers as well. The other thing that we did is said, look, if you're gonna ride the bus, you're gonna get on the rear door. Uh, we're not suspending fares, but we're not enforcing fares either. And the other thing we did is we actually put a barrier so you could not walk forward um, and you could not get within six feet of the bus operator. The other thing that we did is, is put up a barrier Again, for lack of a more technical term, it looks a lot like a clear shower curtain, uh, but a lot of our buses already have plexiglass doors on the operator compartment. We're looking at modifying those and making those more complete um, as we move forward because we don't think this is going to uh, end in the next uh, few months. We think it'll be something that uh, we'll need to pay attention to for several months in the future. The financial impact for us is probably going to be significant. Uh, most of our revenue, 75% of our revenue comes from sales tax. And while we would like to, to hope and think that everything will go back to normal, uh, it will at some point, certainly we all get that, uh, but it's probably not going to get there for several months, 12 to 24 months. And so we're actually planning for that drop in sales tax revenue. And what does that look like? We've already gone to a modified Saturday service what's modified mean? That means that some routes did not run on Saturday. So we've added those routes back in so those people can still ride. And then we also realize that some routes are still very, very busy on Saturdays. And so we've got to insert buses to make sure that we can still try to hold the, uh, the capacity of the bus to twin, no more than 20 people. And, uh, and then of course, uh, uh, as time moves forward, actually starting in June, we anticipate letting front door boarding occur again, um, which allows a little more spacing out, but we're still paying attention to that social distancing on the buses. As you might imagine, transit was never set up uh, for social distancing. Uh, so that's part of the challenge that we, that we need to face. And, and so all of this starts to come full circle uh, because as I talked about at the very beginning, who our customers are, Who's going to get on the bus? Um, who's going to be slow to get back on the bus or the train? Probably more cars are going to be bought. Uh, the car dealerships are making it uh, much more, uh, uh, much easier now to buy a car. Uh, low interest rates, zero percent in some cases. Gas prices are low, so there'll be people that will buy a car. So I'm not getting back on the train or bus. I'm going to buy a car. Or I'm going to drive my car if I was taking the train or the bus. We get that, we understand that. But then you get back to congestion. Well, you know, maybe congestion doesn't uh, get back to where it was certainly because now people have figured out how to work from home. So from our standpoint, we're really looking at how we combine all the different modes. We're a lot further ahead than most transit agencies because we, again, we started on this app, this platform in 2013 that pulls all the resources together. So as we look to the future, I really see uh, this being a, a pivot point where we get to take uh, advantage of this opportunity to look more uh, as a, uh, at mobility as a service as opposed to just trains and buses. 
So um, hopefully everybody's staying safe. Hopefully this has been uh, helpful and informative and I'd be happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Gary. Uh, so for our attendees, you are able to unmute yourself if you are on your computer. If you're dialing in by phone, you can hit star pound six and that will unmute yourself uh, by phone. Uh, I had a couple questions submitted in advance to today's event, so I'll start off uh, by asking one of those. Uh, so mostly, I think this will relate to the bus route redesign, which um, just right. wasn't in the PowerPoint slide. So, you know, for those who are commuting, um, there are long waits at bus stops or can't walk to a, a light rail station, what opportunity does the bus route redesign provide to reach more places? Right, so, so we are in the process, and we'd started this uh, before COVID, but, but we'd started looking at our entire bus system. So over the years, as, as you might imagine, we look at our bus system every year. We tweak it every year. Uh, as we add a light rail line, we might look at a bigger area and how those uh, buses feed into the light rail, how they uh, work off of each other. But we'd really never take step back and, and taken a, a holistic look at the entire bus system for, for many years. Now, so we're in that process. A lot of times, the complaint will be, "Gosh, Gary, it takes me two hours to get to where from where I'm at to where I need to go," which is unfortunately true. Uh, you know, I'll uh, I'll never forget the story of Mrs. Birch. Mrs. Birch is a real person, and she lives near Paul Quinn College, and she worked at a call center um, north of the airport. And, uh, and someone got hold of Mrs. Birch's story and it became very popular to tell the story that Mrs. Birch, uh, it, it took Mrs. Birch two hours every day to get to her job. And so one day we met her and uh, Miss Birch would walk to the bus stop. She'd get on the bus and ride to the blue line, get on the blue line, change downtown uh, to the orange line, go to Irving. And then she had to walk the last mile and a half to the call center where she worked. And, uh, and it took two hours and we rode with her. And pretty quickly we realized the biggest problem wasn't in the bus service network in, in south of downtown Dallas, it was the bus service network in Irving because that bus didn't start until six in the morning and that's when she needed to be at work. Well, obviously that's something that we could quickly uh, fix, but but the challenge, um, as you look at the a bus network, is, is how do you make, it's not like a car. Uh, you don't get to get on your car and, and drive from where you are to where you wanna be. Um, sometimes it takes transfers, it doesn't always go uh, exactly where you wanna go. So from a board, a policy perspective, one of the things the board needs to look at and think about is do we have a coverage network or do we have a ridership network? or where in the middle of that do we really land? In other words, do we, do we deploy our buses where everybody has an opportunity to get on the bus? Maybe the bus only comes every 45 minutes to 60 minutes, but everybody has that opportunity. Or do we consolidate our resources and put the buses on the busiest routes so we maximize ridership? Well, that's, of course, those are the ends of the spectrum. And for many, many years, you really didn't have a lot of options. You didn't have a lot of tools. Uh, I, I talked a lot about the GoLink zones, these on-demand zones, earlier in the presentation. 
and the GoLink zones now, we have 13 of them in existence now, those start to give us the coverage in certain areas um, where, where maybe we don't put that bus that goes every 45 or 60 minutes, but we have a GoLink and on-demand service that you can access and the, the response time is somewhere on average of 10 minutes. Uh, so it gives you that opportunity to still be someplace uh, maybe where there's not a good bus service, but it gets you there pretty quickly. And then you can get on a bus if, if it's got more frequency. And the idea is, is you put buses on those more traveled routes and they come more frequently. Maybe they come every 10 minutes instead of every 20 or 30 minutes. So you can get to where you need to go a whole lot quicker. So we're in that process uh, now and we're actually taking input from people. Um, our website has a lot of information on how you can be part of this process. Uh, we'll be presenting, uh, actually this uh, Tuesday, there's a public hearing uh, that's on streetcars, but uh, there'll be public hearings coming up, uh, be more public meetings. Uh, we'll be briefing our board on some of these uh, options that, are, that will be available and where we fall on that ridership versus coverage spectrum. This won't actually kick in uh, Brian, until probably, uh, I would guess, um, 20, late 2021 timeframe. By the time we actually go through all the public process, get all the input, design the system, um, and then go back out to the public with that designed, redesigned system, get that input again, tweak it, and then put it in place. It'll be late 21 um, timeframe. But yes, it's, it's underway, and I think it'll benefit a lot of people. Members, don't be shy. Yeah, hey, um, can you hear me, Brian? Yes. Hi, uh, Gary, this is Arthur Santa Maria. I'm a Pope Global, and I have a question for you about D2. Um, you mentioned in, in uh, your remarks that um, uh, D2 could have delay from, from things happening at 345. And you also uh, talked about the um, issues with the, the coronavirus having on fares and uh, sales tax revenue and, and things. Um, you know, I, I saw in the, in the news a couple weeks ago um, an article talking about potential uh, long-term delay for D2 because of the, the coronavirus impact. Right. Um, and, and maybe that was kind of a worst case scenario, but curious to your thoughts about um, how, how the, the coronavirus will have impacts on these large capital projects. Sure, absolutely. So we're looking at a lot of different things right now as it relates to uh, what we're going to do financially. Uh, freezing positions, uh, uh, we've not furloughed anybody. We're, we're, we're probably doing early retirement. We're looking at all of our capital projects. Um, even the Silver Line that's under construction, as I said before, there's been some suggestions that, that maybe we single track parts of it or don't have all the vehicles. Uh, that, and, and we can still operate the 30 minute service. Uh, we just wouldn't have the backup vehicles that, uh, that we might otherwise have. On the Silver Line, what we talked about was if you delay, if you delay the Silver Line three years, that gives you roughly $300 million of cash flow in the first two years. But it cost you over the life of the project, it cost you net $150 million. So it, it would cost, the project would cost us $150 million more, but it would save us 
about 300 million in the next two years. So that's one of the things the board will have to weigh. That's predicated on getting a 50% grant from the federal government. We've always planned on, we've always anticipated a 50% grant from the federal government. That's not new. Uh, the concern was early on, well, what happens if the federal government doesn't give you a 50% grant? So we, we went through a worst case scenario and said, well, what happens if we only get a $300 million grant from someplace, whether it be the federal government or whatever sources uh, that would come from? Um, and we built our financial plan around that assumption. So if we change the assumption to what we really expect, and that is a 50% a, a grant, um, then, and then you said, well, we're going to delay it three years. Like I said, you're looking at a, a net cost increase of 150, but 300 million in savings. So what we've done, and, and you're actually getting the, the uh, sneak preview of that now, but what we'll tell our board a week from today is that we've looked at rephasing that project and re-cash flowing that project uh, where we think we can actually keep it on track uh, without really uh, doing anything other than uh, rephasing it a little bit, um, splitting the tunnel out separate from the rest of the construction, doing some things that uh, are a little more creative but would allow us to basically achieve the same $300 million savings over the next two or three years, but keep the project generally on schedule. Uh, so that's uh, those are things that we'll, we'll present to the board. The board will obviously decide the 15-year uh, option that I think you probably read about was was certainly a worst case scenario. If we don't get any uh, federal funding or don't get the 50% federal funding that we anticipated um, to make it all work out, at least in that scenario, you delay it 15 years. Now that said, there's a lot of ways. We do a 20 year financial plan. So every year we update and do a rolling 20 year financial plan. And that 20 year financial plan anticipates all our revenue anticipates all of our operating costs and anticipates all of our capital costs. Uh, so there's a lot of parameters in there that we look at, a lot of uh, things like debt, debt issuance, uh, interest rates, um, all of those kinds of things. So certainly there's a lot of different ways to, to deal with this, but what we're trying to do, and of course what the, uh, the media picked up on was uh, the, the worst case scenario um, but we're working on a best case scenario, as you might imagine, that uh, minimizes any delays. This, uh, this is an important project for a lot of people, for a lot of property owners, for a lot of people in downtown Dallas. So uh, we're, uh, we're making sure that we come up with all the alternatives for the board to consider. Arthur, does that help? Does that answer your question? Uh, yes, sir, it sure does. I appreciate that. You bet. I can piggyback off of kind of Arthur's question. My name is Wes Hobo with Master Plan. Uh, I know that some of the line um, for the D2 line uh, going into Deep Ellum, I know that there's been some property owners over there that have been a little, I guess, not happy of the line choice of where it's going through. Um, right. Is that is that a definitive line of where that's going to be? Is that the best route possible or is that still in flux, I guess, is kind of more the question. We'd like for it to stop fluxing and flexing as quickly as possible. Um, so, so yes, we continue to refine the alignment. And obviously where TxDOT is going to be is uh, very uh, critical 
I know City of Dallas Planning Department, uh, Pierre Chaco and his team have also looked at some alignments. Uh, some of those we've looked at previously. Some of those are tweaks of, of, uh, of those kinds of alignments that we've looked at previously. We're working through all of those alternatives that were recently provided to us uh, to see what the cost is, what the delay, if any, is, what the benefits, pros and cons are, and then how that might work with uh, the 345 realignment. Um, the goal is, of course, to narrow that down as quickly as possible. What's that mean, quickly as possible? In our world, uh, to keep things on schedule, uh, we'd like to get that resolved in late summer. And, uh, and our, our plan, our hope is that we submit this project back into the federal process in September. And, uh, and then we would get a rating uh, out of the federal process in the January, February timeframe. Um, again, when the FTA rates a project, uh, medium is the worst you could do and still have the chance of getting funding. Medium high or high is obviously where you prefer to be, which gives you a lot better uh, chance of getting federal funding. Uh, we think we're in that medium high to high range right now. Uh, so we'll continue to push that forward. But that's our hope is that we can, we can uh, nail the alignment down um, uh, by the uh, late summer timeframe so we can get that submitted. Uh, to the FTA in their in their submittal deadline process in the September uh, timeframe. Thank you. That help? Yes. Yeah. Others. I'll pose another question with the City of Dallas. Uh, transit-oriented development's been in uh, the conversation a lot. Um, how is DART working with the City of Dallas to, uh, you know, build more transit-oriented development around light rail stations like Mockingbird and some of the other ones that have been successful in Wood, et cetera? So, so Brian, I'm so excited that the City of Dallas has uh, really embraced the, the concept of, of TOD, transit-oriented development, uh, much more aggressively than they had in the past. Uh, of course, we've had this conversation over the years, um, but the last time I, uh, I had a, a, an active conversation like this one uh, was when Alan Wallen was on council. And uh, Lucy, I think you probably remember that. That's been a minute or two ago. Uh, but uh, the exciting thing is that uh, the, the city council is, is uh, Councilman Atkins has really started talking about transit-oriented development again. Uh, the preponderance of our stations are in the city of Dallas, and so we're excited about uh, about that opportunity. Mockingbird Station was one of those opportunities that uh, many of us are familiar with. The developer actually had to, to talk about the, the proximity to Central Expressway to get the funding all the time, realizing that the access to the rail station was also going to be critically important. Um, uh, so, so that one uh, happened. Of course, Southside Lamar was a, a, another one. Um, but, but now, as you as you talk about uh, all the different opportunities um, throughout the system, whether it be on the light rail system or on the future Silver Line system, uh, the TOD opportunities are really starting to blossom. People are really starting to think about 
how to take advantage of that transportation infrastructure. So we look forward to working with the city of Dallas as, as they have really renewed their, uh, their thought process. They've brought a new person on board, um, uh, Dr. Johnson. So we're looking forward to making sure that we work with him and his team uh, to, to maximize the infrastructure. And of course, that said, you also have to be very, very sensitive to the gentrification of certain neighborhoods. Uh, the Hatcher Street Station, for example, just, uh, just south of Fair Park, is one of those communities that continues to evolve. When the, that station opened, um, there were some vacant properties, there were some houses that should have been vacant, and, and that has started to evolve. Now there's a clinic there, uh, there's uh, different things that are happening, the neighborhood is starting to revitalize. Uh, one of the piece of prop pieces of property that we own uh, we've turned into a community garden. So it, it's about treating each station um, based on that community and based on what that community's needs and desires are. So, you know, you, you go from uh, Mockingbird Station, Cypress Waters, uh, all, all the way over to Hatcher Station, but they're all equally as important. They're just different. Anyone else? Uh, I've got one, Brian. Go ahead. Hey, my name is Matt Jacobs. I had a question regarding ridership. Uh, Mr. Thomas, I'd seen on some uh, charts and studies before that have shown declining ridership uh, for the trains and buses since about 2008. Do you have any thoughts on what may be causing some of that or sure. ways to respond? So, so not speaking about the last two months, because that certainly caused a, a decline in ridership. And, and so for everybody's benefit, right now, um, and I, I track our ridership on a daily basis, it's not totally accurate because we haven't refined all the, the data. Uh, but generally, our, our ridership on buses and trains is in the 50 to 55% down range. That means that we're still carrying in the neighborhood of 100,000 trips on a daily basis uh, on the system. Uh, Matt, to your point though, 2008 for many systems around the country was a high mark uh, for a variety of reasons. And of course, when the decline in the uh, economy happened shortly after that, it triggered uh, something that uh, it continued. So why is ridership declining nationwide? Um, and not just at dark. Well, part of it is uh, gentrification of neighborhoods. I mean, if you think about many cities, and then, you know, going back to, to urban planning, many cities as they grew up, uh, that first ring right around the, the uh, city in Dallas wasn't uh, necessarily uh, too unique in this, uh, but had a lot of lower income folks. Uptown was low income. Uh, for many, many years. And so a lot of folks that, that lived in Uptown rode the bus to downtown to get to their job every day. Uh, so you have a very dense market of people that ride transit. And of course, we know that, that, that density will drive good transit ridership. Um, as that as Uptown has, has gentrified, of course, you don't have the low income. It's still very dense. Um, and, and people don't necessarily own cars if they live in uptown, but they travel, uh, some travel by, by train or bus, but some travel by Uber 
or scooters or bikes or however they get around. So, so gentrification of neighborhoods is part of it. Uh, car ownership, uh, cost of gas, uh, as you uh, certainly know, the cost of fuel for the last 10 years has been relatively low the last two months, very low. But the last 10 years actually has been very low. If we go back uh, to 2008 and, and just prior to that, um, 2005, you saw 4 and $5 a gallon gasoline. And so uh, now you have, uh, and the cost of entry into cars is, is very low. A lot of low income or a lot of low interest rates, even before the last two, two months. A lot of low interest rates, a lot of uh, uh, low cost cars. So people that maybe didn't have cars uh, said, oh, this is my opportunity and uh, went out and bought a car. Of course, all that adds to congestion. So then it's that balance of, of transit and congestion and trying to make sure that people, again, have a choice. Uh, the challenge in, in I think, uh, updating people's bus systems, and again, this is not unique to Dallas and DART as far as reimagining our bus system. This is something that's going on across the country as people look at their bus systems and really start to shift from a coverage model uh, more toward a ridership model. Again, in our case, uh, we're way ahead of the curve from a, a, a mobility as a service platform that allows us to integrate with uh, companies like Uber and Lyft and, and do those kinds of things. So I, I, from our perspective, um, I think it's really about, uh, so ridership has decline it's really about how do you make sure that people have the choice and the options and and how do you put all of that together so people can make more informed decisions on where they want to go matt does that help it does and um, you had mentioned um, a little while back about the on-demand areas and how that can start to fill in some of the gaps does there get right. to a point and again this is kind of a vague question but is there a point that you get to if ridership drops so much to an area, is that on-demand service that's more tailored to the individual? Is that a better use of money than say a, a, st a static line that's just going to be established in an area? Oh, absolutely it is. Absolutely it is because if you're losing, and of course you have to look at why you're losing ridership on a particular line. Uh, if, as I said earlier, if you have 60 minute headways or a bus only comes every 60 minutes, I promise you the only person that's going to ride that bus is the person that has to, uh, because that's, just, I mean, if you miss that bus, you're sitting there for another 60 minutes and uh, nobody wants, we don't even like to wait for Amazon 60 minutes anymore. Um, so uh, it's, it's unrealistic for us to continue to provide that kind of service and expect people to really use it. Uh, so we've really got to rethink what we do and how we provide the service. And I think, uh, the on-demand choices, integrating those on-demand choices and using those tools, consolidating buses onto routes where we know the ridership will be higher and have more frequent buses makes a lot of, a lot of sense to me. Again, it's the board decision, it's a policy decision uh, as far as where we land from a, a coverage versus ridership perspective. Um, but you can get yourself into a downward spiral as you try to match service to ridership um, and pretty soon you just, you, you killed all the ridership uh, opportunities on, the, on a particular route. So uh, those are the kinds of things that we've got to look at and pay attention to.
Excellent. So then when ridership is concerned with the rail service, what is it that would allow us to expand the frequency there? So I don't personally, you know, I've lived along dart lines. I've had access to it, but frankly, you know, when I, the few times you miss, miss the train and you can drive there by the time the next one gets there, that really, really affects the decision. So, you know, what, what might it take to get um, train service that has, you know, say 10 minute intervals regularly around downtown Dallas, for instance. Right. So, so that's something that we have to look at. Part of that's driven uh, from a financial perspective. Um, prior to uh, working from home every day, I rode and parked at the uh, bus turnpike station and rode into downtown. That particular case, because it was a combination orange and uh, red line, train came every seven and a half minutes. I, and so I understand exactly what you're saying because I never worried about the schedule of the train. I knew that if I showed up uh, anytime between six in the morning and, and nine in the morning or, or 830, uh, there was going to be a train there within a few minutes. Um, I think as we look to the future, it, it, especially for the next year, 12 months, uh, 20, maybe 24 months, uh, depending on how, uh, how long this, this lasts, uh, it really is um, uh, financially driven. I mean, as, as we think about our near-term future, it's, it's matching up our service to where people are and where they want to go and our revenue. And, uh, and that's really the, the, uh, the, the short-term view. Longer-term view, and we already started having conversations, how do you increase frequency on the train? I mean, it, the train is easy. I mean, it, uh, uh, once you get on, you're not stalled in traffic. You don't get caught in traffic jams. Uh, the, the, uh, the, um, the timing is incredibly dependable. Uh, we have uh, well over a 95% on-time um, performance on the train. So it makes it simple from a user standpoint. Uh, so, so really, how do we get it uh, uh, shorter? Now, the D2 actually allows us to move more trains through downtown. Uh, part of the challenge is that some of the junctions on the east side and west side of downtown only allow us uh, to get down to about 12, uh, 12 and a half minute uh, on a particular line. So right now we're at 15 minute during peaks. Uh, we can get down about 12, uh, some, somewhere between 10 and 12 minutes. Uh, but it's hard for us to get shorter than that without D2. So on those, um, so what is it that they do during the uh, state fair that increases the frequency? So during the state fair, we do a couple of things. Uh, one is, is that we actually run trains through the yard. So we have a yard just southeast of downtown. And uh, for some of those trains, we run them through the yard on the yard tracks uh, to circumvent downtown. And, um, and, and then on some of the red line trains, we actually have the track available to take it straight from Plano, for example, straight to uh, the state fair. So for on Texas OU day, uh, we, will, we will do that. But we're running uh, pretty much uh, the maximum capacity uh, for, for Texas OU day for sure. So our high ridership days typically, uh, Texas OU, um, Columbus day, because Columbus day is normally high school day at the fair. And then St. Patrick's Day Parade, believe it or not, is the other big uh, ridership day. I guess uh, people really do uh, drink their green beer responsibly and ride the train. So, 
Um, thank you. You bet. Any other questions? Brian, I'm uh, I'm pleased to have the opportunity today. I appreciate y'all spending your afternoon, Tuesday afternoon with me. And uh, I hope everybody stays safe. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to get people not, not next week or so, but soon get back on the trains and buses. I, I, I Quite frankly, I don't need that overcrowding right now. No worries. We know that you've had a lot of busy times recently and really appreciate the partnerships with the food delivery and everything else that you've taken on as an organization. So we look forward to more to come uh, from yeah. DART. Thank you for yeah. your time. I, you know, I didn't even talk about DART Serves, and that's uh, another effort that, um, because some of our services contracted out, uh, we had people sitting around without anything to do because the, the passenger load had gone down. So we said, how can we use uh, this capacity? And so we've worked with Dallas Independent School District, Garland Independent School District, Catholic Charities. I mean, there's a long list of folks. Uh, the, a lot of the senior centers where we're actually delivering food um, to, to different people and we'll actually go in uh, for seniors in our paratransit program, uh, we'll actually go pick up the groceries at the grocery store if they pre-ordered. So a lot of good things are happening as, uh, as we work through this, uh, this time. But thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. That's all for today's show. I'd like to thank DART CEO Gary Thomas for taking the time to speak with our members. You can also check out the blog post and slides from Gary's presentation via the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to the show. Uh, follow Trek on social media as well. Until next time, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.